Están escuchando el viaje medianoche con el gran Guillermo. Este cinefilo lo va a llevar fantasmal por miles y miles. Hey everyone, uh, it's the Midnight Ride. I broke character, I was too excited to do a Jamaican accent. I'm Large William. Hope everyone's well, hope everyone's in the thick of Halloween goodness, whether it's pumpkin carving, pumpkin painting, pumpkin eating horror movie watching, decorating their house. Hope everyone's having a festive, spooky season. Tonight, I am going to be talking about a film from 1934 that was programmed by probably the biggest reptile aficionado I've ever known. He is truly a gentleman. He's been around since day one. That is Will, a.k.a. Heaven's Trash. Um, He picked 1934's The Black Cat, directed by Edgar G. Ulmer, um, loosely based on a story by someone you may have heard of named Poe, and starring a few few bit players from the 30s, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, alongside David Manners uh, and a few others, certainly. Um, so, again, I'm happy to be doing films that are older. This film's basically 80 years old. Uh, I think the newest film I have is probably from last year, so, you know, you're covering almost 80 years of, of horror history with this, with this series of programming that I've been blessed enough to have friends program for me. Um, so thank you again to everyone, but specifically thanks to Will for this one. Now... I will say, oh, this I should say is, uh, is it on, I don't know if it's on YouTube or, or Netflix, I actually had a, a copy of it, but I'm going to read you the synopsis. American honeymooners in Hungary are trapped in the home of a Satan-worshipping priest when the bride is taken there for medical help following a road accident. That kind of sums it up nicely, neatly, concisely. And I need a drink of water. So this was the first film uh, to feature Karloff and the Ghosty together. Two guys that 
probably in most people's eyes are on the Mount Rushmore of horror, um, alongside maybe Cheney, and I guess depending on where you're from, I throw another name in there. Uh, especially of that specific universal time when everything really the 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 template was set for horror. But I mean, you're obviously able to get past that rather quickly. Uh, the film does a really good job of setting itself up as kind of being really moody and gloomy. It's effective in that, and that's again, as I've talked about here, a lot of these films really dealt effectively uh, in being able to manufacture a certain gloom or a, a tone foreboding, very moody, and this film is no exception. Um, one of the things that I think when you look at films of the time, the world seemed like a much larger place. We didn't have the internet, um, color TV certainly wasn't around, TV I don't believe was, I'm certainly not, I don't believe it was until like the, well maybe it was late 30s, anyway, doesn't really matter. Um, the world was a much bigger place. Foreign places were much more foreign. They were much more exotic. It took that much longer to get there. So if you were stranded somewhere in a foreign country, it was a much bigger deal than it is now. You couldn't just pick up a cell phone. I don't know that embassies were established like they are today, certainly what that infrastructure was like. So having your wagon or your... your um, I don't even know if it was a wagon. or I guess it was a car. Yeah, it was a car. Having your car hit a fucking tree in Hungary in the middle of the night in the rain would be a pretty unfortunate thing to have happen. And it does happen. Now, as I've said, the bride gets hurt and in a rather fortuitous turn of events, Bela Lugosi is able to take them to um, Hjalmar Polzig's estate for care since they're in the middle of nowhere. Um... Now, the car crash itself, I think for the time, is pretty good. It's mostly done with kind of smart editing more than anything, but the car is on its side when it's all said and done. And it, it's, like I said, it, it, it's well done for a car. I mean, you don't expect much. It's not like uh, Billy Friedkin or um, Hal Needham or someone. I mean, it's, it's going to be a little more, uh, or less flashy, I should say. But, yeah, it's, it's done quite well. And... We get to the house itself, where Polzig, I'll just call him by the last name, where Polzig lives. And I'll, I'll tell you, I really, really, this might be my favorite thing about the film, is the way they designed his house. Even for 1934, it goes completely against the cliché of this um, kind of Eastern European mansion with lightning and, and all these... Uh, uh, kind of cobblestone or, or kind of stone corridors and and everything else. It's as bright and modern and beautiful as you can imagine, which is odd because the outside of the house, it's like the house at the beginning of Scooby-Doo, like with the fucking bats on the hill. It's like they show the exterior of the house, and there's about 400 crosses. Like it's like an old graveyard in front of his house, and it's nighttime, but as soon as you get into the house, it's beautiful, it's modern, a lot of, you know, really fantastic, kind of modern-looking stuff that you would get of the time uh, in a lot of, like, Metropolis, not quite Metropolis, which is sci-fi, but a lot of that German architecture and stuff that was really kind of ahead of its time, you get in the house, which, uh, nice touch, really, really was pleased with that. 
Um, I don't know why I thought of this note, but I will just say that Lugosia and Karloff are fantastic. They play off each other well. You get to see kind of two heavyweights really do their thing. They don't overplay it, even at a time when acting was hammy. They are restrained enough, which is nice, um, because it could have been kind of a, a pissing contest and it never gets that. But I would have loved to have seen Bella Lugosi in a Coen Brothers film. I, I, that's not really apropos of anything. It just the thought popped into my head when he was delivering some, some lines in it. Um, Karloff in this looks a little different than you're used to seeing him. Karloff, to me, looked like uh, if this film was remade say, in the 80s, which is like 30 years... God, I can't believe that's 30 years ago. I feel so old. Um, if this was remade in the 80s, David Bowie, very... Or Adam Ant, very much... Oh, Bowie's got more chops than Ant. David Bowie could have played the Karloff role of this kind of devil-worshipping... But it's not... Again, it's not like this heavy-handed kind of uh, sacrificing goats as the couple walks in the house kind of feel. Um, he's a, a Satan-worshipper, but it's it's very restrained. But... Bowie, I think, would have done a good job of playing the same role that Karloff played in this. As for the Lugosi role, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe Javier Bardem. If I'm going to kind of time hop, I think that would have been an interesting thing. Because the, the spin is that Lugosi was in prison, uh, in war, uh, a, a war camp, and he's gotten out, and he feels that he was a ba- uh, betrayed or abandoned, I'm not entirely sure, by Polzig, and he's back after 15 years. Um... So yeah, now the black cat of the title really isn't dealt with all that much. They talk on a fear of black cats and how ominous they are and how Lugosi's character, uh, Verdegast, is is um, superstitious and what have you. But it's never really like a thing to say the black cat. It was just more of a selling point, I think, than anything because Poe's work was so famous at the time. Um, and it's ironic because I covered another film that uh, on the show this week, Blacker Than Night, which all it features is a fucking black cat wandering around a house too much. So you'll hear that review on our our main show, though. Um, A lot of great shots in this film, whether it's inside the house. Well, yeah, in fact, the film primarily takes place inside the house. And what I like about this, and thinking about this alongside, again, not to keep referencing... Uh, something else, but I'd watched Fright Night today, rewatched Fright Night today, the original, and I was just um, thinking about how smart they were to shoot the house, really, or the film, primarily in two locations. It's in two houses. It's not like there's a lot of exterior stuff where they had to go spend a lot of money and get a lot of coverage. It's shot in the interior of, of two houses. So, And much like with this, it's shot pretty much all interiors, um, Outside of when they get to the mansion or the the estate, but beyond that, it's all interiors, and um, they take. It, it allows them to, at a time when it would have been more difficult to control the elements, allows them to control things certainly a lot better from a technical standpoint. Now, one gripe I have about the film is the score. The score is is really off. Uh, they use some pretty famous classical music, um, but more than that, the, it's too cheery. And even more than that, for a 65-minute film, I would say there's probably not five minutes of this film without music uh, being, you know, to varying levels, to, but to be laid behind the, the dialogue. And it's like, okay, you know, you don't need 60 minutes of music in your film. You've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, and use the music to evoke, obviously, emotion. But by using it throughout, you're kind of 
numbing that and, and really taking away the impact of the score, and it's rendered kind of a bit useless. So I, I wish there had been a more... Um, I don't know who would have been a good composer at the time. I, I'm not, you know, maybe Terry Frost or, or one of our more kind of historian types in the community would know who was a kind of a good composer at the time for films. But I do think that um, it, it kind of missed the mark there. And, and music goes a great way towards enhancing films, to bring it back to Suspiria again. Um, the score, it's all about the score with that film. It, it really enhances things. And it's kind of, the score can have a symbiotic relationship with... Uh, what you're seeing on screen, and, and with this, it's this kind of cheery kind of classical music, so it kind of gets in the way a little bit. Um, there is a, a really great reveal. Interestingly, this is one of the few films I've seen this month where I have to have think that Pascal Auger had to have... I think Mad Hands was maybe the other one I'm thinking of. Anyway, Pascal Auger, I believe, may have seen this and been influenced by this prior to seeing Martyrs, because there's some things here, some reveals with... Um, women in glass, kind of encased in glass, wearing these kind of Greek, simple but beautiful Greek gowns, and they're kind of frozen. Um, and it looks really great, really kind of ahead of its time. And I have to think that some of that, I, I, I don't want to reveal, reveal too much, but I have to think that he was influenced by that in some way because some of the stuff that was happening and was going on. Um, and there's even a reference, you know, when... Um, Again, to immortality, when I think I think it's Karloff says, I wanted to have her beauty always. And it's that thing of, again, a man trying to chase down something, this time through black magic versus black science, as we talked about with the asphyx in the episode prior. But that thing, again, of dabbling in things that you don't have any business to uh, in dabbling in. Great kind of quote from Manners, who really, I have to say, Manners and Bishop are kind of marginalized in this. Like, they're pushed to the side the way that um, Susan Sarandon and Barry Bostwick are in Rocky Horror. Like, they're there, but they're not really all that involved. Um, their stuff's really kind of saccharine and, and very dated. Um, a lot of kind of kissy face and stuff. And Manners, I believe, was Jonathan Harker in the original Dracula with Lugosi a few years earlier. I believe that's correct. Let me see. Um... And he was Canadian, too. He was from Nova Scotia, so that's kind of cool. But, yeah, he was Jonathan Harker. Um, but their stuff's really kind of pointless to me, frankly. It really is about the tango between Karloff and Lugosi. And I actually really like this hand-drawn, looks almost like 60s um, art, this hand-drawn picture of Karloff that it was on, I guess, a Universal disc that was put out some time ago. But, anyway, um, their stuff's not very good. But he gives a good, great quote where they're kind of lamenting the state there and they're laid up at this fucking bizarre man's um, estate. And he says, well, next time I want to go, I'm going to go to Niagara Falls, which might have worked a little bit better. But anyway, um, I already talked about how it defies the convention or the cliche of kind of this old, decrepit, creepy mansion. It's all very brightly lit and what have you. Um what else? I've kind of talked about a lot of the other stuff here. Oh, there's a great dynamic between the leads, which I've already touched on. They work very well together um, and off of each other. Now, the satanic cult stuff is, isn't heavy, heavy-handed. Like I said, it's not throughout the film, and Karloff's not beaten off in a bathtub of, um, of goat's blood, but um, 
it it is touched on a bit in the back end, and some of the production, the set design, I should say, with with that stuff is really nice to look at, and they shoot it really well, and kind of some really dramatic angles with some of the um, like the pulpit and the 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 kind of inverted crosses and stuff that are around, and it's uh, it, it looks modern though. That's the thing, it, even by today's standards, it's not this druidy kind of hoods. I mean, they wear cloaks, but they don't really have the hoods on. I don't think, but. It uh, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty modern, and they use some great close-up photography of all these. These oh, that was another thing with with the martyrs. There was a reveal where, uh, not a reveal, but something happens with some people, and um, people bear witness to something, I should say. And Karloff comes down this winding staircase, much like um, an elderly woman does at the end of Martyrs. Um, and uh, yeah, but anyway, they they employ some great close-up photography of some of these members of the the cult or the church or whatever you want to say. Uh, we get treated to a great homoerotic action movie convention probably 50 years before a lot of uh, action movies did it. And that's that great thing of one man has another man shirtless and chained up or bound by his wrists hanging from the ceiling. And the ghost he gets to do this to Karloff. And, well, yeah, he's trying to punish him for some shit. Now, above and beyond that, another thing that I, I'm not going to spoil for this film or the, the Martyrs connection, but it's right near the back end, and something is done to one of the characters uh, that was done to the female lead in Martyrs, which for its time would have been pretty shocking, to say the least. And uh, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great staircases in this film, too, which and it sounds kind of odd, but cinematically they work. Alma really knew the stuff to shoot and give give his coverage to um, without it kind of going overboard. So, yeah, uh, those are all my notes. This one is definitely a treat. I'm glad I saw it. It's it's kind of a, a B-side universal horror film that I think should get some more love. It's, um, I guess I can't recall if it's on YouTube or Netflix. Take a look. Um, it's, it's well worth your time. It's only 65 minutes long. Um, my make or break would probably be, there's a, a game of chess, I guess, between Karloff and Lugosi that I like. It gets pretty intense. Um, yeah, pick any of their scenes really together where they get to kind of go off each other. And like I said, everything's kind of done with a, a gentlemanly kind of reserve, but it's, it's still effective. MVT is the, their dynamic, those two actors working together. If it had been in lesser hands, this film could have been pretty dreadful other than the um, the production design and what have you and the cinematography, but if it had been had really dreadful leads, I would have been, it would have been a snooze fest even at 65 minutes, but they work quite well. My score is... I'm going to give it a 7 point... Uh, 7.75. I think it's a real cool little film. Like I said, a good B-side universal joint. And uh, and that's that. So I'm going to jump off here. And that means I have one thing left to say. That thing is adios. Alright, alright. You've been listening to the Midnight Ride with Lodge William, baby. Stay tuned for another episode where we bring the pumpkin to the pumpkins. And the hangman's rope to the city phone. Oh, Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll avait en lui un Monsieur Hyde.
qui était son mauvais génie. Mr. Hyde ne disait rien, mais en secret, n'en pensait pas moins. Je vous dis que je ne suis pas le docteur Jekyll. Fait la peau, la peau du 